Okay, so sticking with the theme of negativity here for a minute. This guy's pouring a. I expected to bubble up that much. This guy's pouring a Perrier while we're talking. Carry on. Carry on. Are we good? Okay. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Welcome to episode two of the While They're Sleeping podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Chad. And we are as shocked as you that we're here. Flabbergasted, actually. Um, the fans, they, they want what they want. They want episode two. People have spoken. I mean, the response was was pretty crazy. I think over 150 plays of the first episode. Yeah, and what did that put us? Uh, number 145 on the <laughs> the Spotify running podcast uh, ranking. So we really we're climbing get, the charts. Yeah, we got to get that ranking up. I'm trying to find what some of those stats were like in the first week because that's where they they give you like the really interesting stuff so find it and we have loyal loyal listeners they'll listen to the whole thing and it's not short you're right that was actually probably the coolest part is like over half the people who started the episode made it all the way through so yeah we need we need to keep that same energy for episode two we're excited to be here really appreciate you listening to the first episode um and so what are we why are we back right Chad has another race coming up, so we want to use this as an opportunity to do a little pre-race interview. The idea is that we'll pair this with a post-race interview. So Chad, why don't you tell us what you're running and a little bit about the race? Yeah, so I mean, Bigfoot 200, it's a about 210-mile ultra race in Washington, Washington State. It starts in like the Mount St. Helens area, goes up to the Cascade Mountains, finishes at some high school track. So you really get to see everything. You get to see the, you know, the historic blast zone from Mount St. Helens, the beautiful Cascade Mountain Ranges. Compared to some of the other, this is a destination trail race. Compared to some of their other races, it's a lot more remote. So I hear maybe a little more climbing on average per mile. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm excited. It's one of the more aesthetic courses, just looking at some of the videos. Uh, the cutoff's like, I think it's around 100 hours or so, a little, a little more. But yeah, it'll be, it's, it should be a good one. So when you say a little more climbing, I mean, 46,000 feet of climbing. Can you put that in perspective for people? 46, yeah, I mean, 46,000. I mean, in terms of perspective, Mount Everest is what, 26,000, so one and three quarters or so Everest. It's it's two Everests, that's all. Two Everest. It's, you know, it's a lot per mile. If you think of it like that, it's like a couple hundred feet per mile, which that's how I like to think about it. But I mean, that's pretty significant. Um, just for comparison, I think Cocodona, which is 250 miles, I think it was, I don't even think it was 40,000 feet. So wow. 50 fewer miles and maybe 10,000 more feet of climbing. So yeah, you should feel that. Yeah. So a couple um, other notes to put things in perspective here. Last year's winning time was 57 hours, which is like 2.3 days. The winning time for your age group, 20 to 25, 20 to 29 year olds, 86 hours, th- about three and a half days. And a full one third of the field, the starting field last year, DNF'd. Yeah. I mean, these destination trail races do tend to have a high DNF rate for some reason. I think maybe it's like a mix of obviously it's 200 mile or anything could happen, but it's also, you know, people were developing some like lung issues. There's like elevation concerns. There's people who are maybe might be their first ultra over 100 miles. So there's just more new folks just trying it out but yeah it does have a high dn effort i guess we'll see how that goes uh for me so you just said for some people it'll be like their first race over 100 miles are there races between that 100 and you know this is 200 kokodono was 250 i mean for people who want to be gradual and increasing their mileage for races are there races out there like 125 150 you just kind of made that big jump i remember a couple years ago yeah, there are, but a lot of them are just looped races. Like I did a 150 miler, but it was like a 10 mile loop. So they have a lot of those types of races and they have obviously just timed races. So like 48 hour races that 
people could probably would probably do less than 200 miles so they exist but in terms of like point to point races like bigger races there's not many i mean there's some in i think like utmb like some overseas that are between 100 and 200 miles but yeah there's not too many so you don't have that many options you're you're either jumping 100 or you're going to 200 can you speak a little bit about the different challenges for a looped race versus a point to point yeah i mean the loop race is great if you're a solo runner it's easy to have your own crew or have your own aid station set up with just like a table and some gear you pass by there every loop obviously so you don't really need to carry a lot with you um but i mean on the other side you're just doing a a loop over and over again like it's it can get pretty mentally just draining when you do one loop especially in the 150 i mean it was 15 10 mile loop so it's you you do five loops and you're like i have 10 more loops the same exact thing you Mm -hmm. see the same thing over and over again but i mean then you get kind of you know where all the twists and turns are you kind of know where what sections are easier what sections are harder but i i definitely prefer i used to actually prefer the loops now i i definitely prefer just all new stuff Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's great for solo runners especially um, but most of them also are just much flatter if it's a loop, obviously. Sure. So the race starts on August 11th. We're recording this July 29th. So you're less than two weeks out. You're going to have roughly four and a half days, 107 hours to finish this race. We're going to get into your training in just a minute. But I'm just curious overall, how are you feeling physically and mentally uh, You know, heading into your taper before this race? Yeah, man, I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm feeling better than I did. Well, I guess last race I had some like back stuff come up closer to the race. I mean, I'm feeling pretty good now. I've been able to, I've done a lot more trail running in between Cocodona and Bigfoot did, you know, a trail race. I just was able to get out in the, the trails a lot more, which I, was, I wanted to make it a point of. Um... Yeah, I had a big run this morning. That was kind of like a peak run to kind of cap off like my peak week. And then before tapering, I'm just going to do like a little over a week, two a little under a two-week taper. So, yeah, I mean, I'm feeling good. I mean, obviously, it's it's so tough to prepare for some of the stuff. You're just trying to go in confident and feeling as fresh and healthy as you can. But, mm-hmm. yeah, all things, you know, all things considered, I feel pretty good. Cool. That's really good to hear. Let's dive a little deeper into the training. Um, you mentioned your run this morning. I think it's a good place to start. What time did you wake up this morning, Chad? <laughs> uh, I woke up. When did I wake up? I woke up at twelve thirty. Twelve thirty a.m. Twelve thirty a.m. When did you go to got, bed? Got, I wanted to go to bed at like eight, but I, just, I got in bed and I was just like tough to fall asleep. I probably fell asleep at around nine. Mm-hmm. So I got three hours. I mean, it's good practice. I mean, for running on little sleep, doing some night running, just being a little more uncomfortable. Like I took the train out to Connecticut to Fairfield and, and ran back. So just kind of just being super uncomfortable before you start, like sitting on a train for an hour and a half. Did you sleep on the train? I didn't sleep on the train. I mean, the train was actually pretty packed. A lot of it was interesting seeing everyone ending their day and then here I am about to get it started. So it's, it was, um, it was an interesting start, but it went well, 55 miles. Um, it, it started out, it was pouring rain. It was like thunderstorming and then oh, it wow. got super hot towards the end. Um, which is again, it's good preparation. And you're just running along, you know, roads. Was there, I, I just put it in the, in the Google maps and just followed that baby all the way back. And <laughs> it's good. That's a, I mean, it's nice to just do a straight shot and not have to, because you can only run around Manhattan so many times before it gets a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit tiring. So it's always nice to kind of switch it up for those bigger runs. I mean, I was super impressed, right? You started your run at three thirty in the morning. You ran fifty five miles, twenty five hundred feet of elevation in about eight hours, right? Nine minute pace for that long with no sleep is pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I was feeling pretty good. I mean, the first 40 miles felt pretty good. I was keeping a steady 8.45. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, then it got hot. I was obviously getting a little fatigued. I stopped and grabbed like some Gatorade from a, like a gas station rest stop. Um, and yeah, then I just started like kind of dragging a bit, but you know, that, that's good. I mean, that those come and go those waves in the race. So just being able to get through them and not really consider just anything but that it's mm-hmm. good preparation. Yeah, that's great. So it's been about 10 weeks since we last spoke, 10 weeks of training. You averaged about 80 miles a week. Your high was this week at 105 miles. The lowest week you had, I think, since you really picked up was like 60 or 62 miles. Um, But I think a a really big difference for you during this training block was the amount of time you spent in elevation, like working on elevation gain as well as on the trails. Do you want to speak to some of the things you did differently, you know, during the past couple of months? Yeah, the main thing was I was able to do like a trail race before, like before I did some races, but they weren't really trail races with any sort of like climbing or anything like that. So I was able to do like a 60 K, which was nice. And, and then some trails in upstate New York, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was nice just to get out there. I was like trying some new gear out. Um, so it was nice to do that in more of like a formal like race type setting. That's a little more competitive. Mm-hmm. And then just, yeah, otherwise just getting out to trails generally, I did some work in like the Delaware water gap on like the AT. I did some stuff just random trails, more upstate New York and kind of maybe like the Nyack area or on the long path. So yeah, I mean, it's, you do the best you can in New York to try to find some stuff that's steep, maybe a little technical. And yeah, I definitely did a little bit more of that, but I still did a lot of like road stuff. I also did like a 12 hour race, which was nice just to get more miles in it wasn't really it was like a f- pretty flat just sorry looped. i gotta interrupt you there you said a 12-hour race which was nice that race started at midnight oh, and it yeah, went from yeah, that midnight, race, that race midnight to midnight, noon right. <laughs> that's another good one i mean it's it's good to get practice running at night like there's not especially like formal races there's not many that do that so that was a great just like experience to one have a race that starts when you're just extremely tired mm-hmm. and then you wake yourself up by running you just like it starts pretty chilly then it gets hotter again um so yeah that was that was good i mean interesting enough like i didn't didn't feel like i did that well in that race like i got like 50 something 59 whatever i forget exactly miles um in 12 hours but like my run today was much like it was much better than that so it's just kind of like some days it's just not your day or it's like it was a little hotter that day i think maybe than even today so maybe the extra sleep you got three yeah, exactly hours yeah, maybe that three hours <laughs> that three hours helped so you spent a lot of time on the trails and yet your mileage was still pretty high right 100 100 miles a couple times you hit you spent a lot of time on treadmills as well mm-hmm. when you would hit 100 miles in the winter before cocodona that's when your back started to act up do you think that the trails and the treadmill, you know, some of those softer surfaces might have contributed to what's been knock on wood a really healthy couple of months ahead of this race. Yeah, I think so. I definitely had like these exercises that I got from like the doctor I was seeing, and I just wasn't really doing them. But now I do them like after every run, so it's I think that helps. Um, it's like some band stuff. So I think being more consistent with that has had a lot of benefits, but yeah, just switching up the terrain, switching up like the types of workouts. Um, yeah, that all definitely helps for sure. How's the sauna been? Oh, I mean, the sauna is great. I mean, I use it every single day, (laughs) at least 30 minutes, if not an hour. It's yeah. It's, I would recommend everyone getting it. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of saunas you can get some are like the zip up collapsible ones and there's some that are more permanent heavy duty ones like the one i have but for recovery for heat preparation i think it's great i think there's nothing better when you say you do it for an hour you're not in there for 60 minutes straight are you no i wouldn't do 60 minutes straight i'd do maybe a 30 and 30 or yeah probably like a 30 and 30 your priorities are clear priorities are clear it's right there next to my uh, bike and my Zwift that I haven't used in like four months. But 
<laughs> Gotta get back on the bike. Me too. So let's get back to the uh, to the race now. I mean, clearly it seems like you're feeling good. You you just ripped off 55 miles in eight hours this morning. You want to talk a little bit about some of the unique challenges in Bigfoot, maybe stuff that you're aware of that you haven't encountered in either Tahoe or Cocodona. Yeah, I mean, the first, obviously, I mean, the climbing seems to be different. I mean, I've looked at some of, like, the videos, like the people do, like, vlogs and race recaps. Some of the terrain seems a lot rockier than some of the other, at least the, the Tahoe 200 race. So that could be interesting. But, I mean, away from that, there's not really that much that I'm, I don't know, there's going to be things that are unexpected, but I'm not expecting it to be so much new and unexpected experiences beyond just different terrain and different, you know, amount of climbing. So I don't, I don't really, you know, I'm obviously giving it the respect that you have to give to like 200 mile races, but not too, you know, I'm not really planning for anything overly specific, mm-hmm. um, which, which helps. I mean, this is my fourth 200 miler now. So you kind of, you know, the thing I like about them is that they are very unpredictable, but at least you know you can kind of cover the distance. So now it's just a matter of executing on a plan and just doing preparation on the course profile and just going out there and trying to have a good race. What are your expectations for the conditions, the temperature, the weather? People say it's pretty hot, um, but it also, like, again, there's, there's big temperature swings, so... I don't know how cold it could go, but it's cold enough where, you know, you want to have your hat, your gloves, you know, a warm jacket. So I'm, I'm assuming it can get pretty cold, maybe in the 40s. I'll have to check the forecast. But, yeah, I mean, when you're on top of some of these mountains, I'm sure it gets pretty cold, especially at night. So just preparing for everything. You're going to be carrying a lot of cold gear. You're going to have a lot of, like, extra gear in my drop bag, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's... You, know, you got to prepare for it all. You're out there for three days. Like a lot can happen in three plus days. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be caught, you know, flat footed with just a t shirt when it's 40 degrees out. Right. And then you fall in a river. And and you don't want to fall in a river either. So yesterday morning, you put a post on your Instagram story asking your followers, our listeners, to submit questions for us. And we're going to do a whole listener question segment at the end. But there's one that I wanted to bring up now as we're talking about the race. And someone asked, are there any specific things you intend to do differently based on what you learned from Cocodona? Yeah, I really want to sleep more in the beginning if I can. Cocodona, I just went way too long without like a good couple hours of sleep. I went like over two days without a good sleep, more than maybe like 10 minutes. So I'm going to really try and do something in the first 24 hours you know i say that now then i might get out there and just be feeling good and not do it but that's what i you know that's what i'm going to intend to do and just like in between aid stations just eating more because i'm I'm, i never have a problem eating at aid stations like i can eat a lot and it's fine but in between aid stations i i didn't eat enough last race and i probably didn't even eat enough generally to just bringing more. What do you expect to carry in between the aid stations? Uh, so I did switch to these spring gels. So I switched to the gel I used for the first time in like four years. And I actually really like them. Like I can eat them much better than the other gels, cyst gels. So I'll bring like a ton of those. Um, which will probably be the main thing that I eat. At least in the beginning. And then after that, I'll probably carry extra food from like the aid stations with me, whether it's just like chips or fruit or things like that. Um, and then just drinking more water. I mean, also what I found is that sometimes like the water pack and like the collapsible bottles I bring, like I just can't drink from them. Like the taste of like the plastic after a couple of days is just like so bad. So I was just not drinking from them. So I'll probably just carry just regular water bottles like plastic water bottles sometimes they have them at the aid stations um and just fill those sure and then what about the drop bags anything different in the drop bags or what will you put in there how many will you use no nothing probably nothing different in the drop bags i'll use i'll I'll use 
everyone at every station. Um, I forget how many in total there are, but um, more than Coca-Dona in terms of eligible like drop bag stations. So I'll fill everyone up just in case. You never know what you're going to need, so I'd rather just overpack for some stuff and be ready. Yeah. What do you think it would take for you to leave this race considering it a success? Is it as simple as finishing it? Is it something beyond that? Do you have goals for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I always want to finish. I really don't like setting a time goal until like first day of the race. I mean, you know, something in 80 hours I would be pretty happy with, but I kind of like to see how the race starts and then go from there in terms of time goals just because like so much can happen you don't want to just have a rough start and then you're just disappointed so just like getting through the first day and feeling what's reasonable Um, but yeah definitely finishing that's priority number one and it's just in a lot of other distances like finishing is kind of just like well yeah you'll just finish like on a marathon like you can just walk if you need Mm mm-hmm but in a 200 mile, like it's not a given that you'll finish any of them based on the conditions. A lot of things can happen. So that's always, for me, number one goal than figuring out specific time goals just as the race goes on. That sounds reasonable. So I want to talk a little bit more about the elevation in this course. I was looking at the course profile and there's two stretches in particular where the elevation gain is pretty remarkable. So if anyone pulls up the uh, the profile on the, you know, destination trail website, there's this incline after the cold water Lake, um, aid station, you go from mile 48 to 57. So over a nine mile stretch, there's 3,700 feet. That's the equivalent. I did my research on a treadmill of a 7.4% incline for nine miles. And then there's a stretch from Lewis river to Quartz River. Now this is at mile roughly 108. So you're already basically in day two, late in day two, day two or day three. And you've got a 16 mile stretch with 3,700 feet gain. That's like a four, four and a half percent incline on the treadmill. And so I don't know, I don't know really if I have a question about, about these, but really (laughs) I'm just curious to hear your reaction of, you know, if you had like a treadmill equivalency, like there's some steep climbs and sustained climbs in this race. Yeah, I mean, like, it's later in the race. You know, 3,000 feet of gain doesn't seem so crazy, but obviously it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt in the moment. You're going to be, like, pretty beat up. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious how people are going to take it, how I'm going to take it, and, you know, just get the poles ready. Get the poles ready. Can you describe how the poles work? Yeah, they're like, kind of like walking sticks. Some people use them. Some people don't. Some sections, it makes more sense to use them. It just kind of helps take some pressure off your legs when you're, especially when you're going up some of these steeper climbs, you can kind of, you don't have to lean so much forward um, because you kind of have something to push off with. So it helps take a little bit of pressure off your legs. So a lot of people use them. Some people don't. Some people just like putting their hands on their knees and pushing off like that, which that's a very popular strategy as well. I didn't really use poles much at Cocodona. Just, I don't know. I just didn't feel like I really, they really were adding much. But I'm going to definitely at least run with them for the whole race. It's TBD on whether I use them or not. But what do you do with them when you're not using them? You can tie them to your pack. Or I have like this belt where you can like stick them through. So they just kind of are attached to your hips. Hmm. Um, so it's pretty unnoticeable when you don't use them. And they're very light. They're like carbon fiber poles so it's super light i don't even know if they're more than a pound or two um so yeah it's just something that's good to have just in case but one thing one rookie thing i did the first time i have them is you you should have like gloves because you get these huge blisters on like the palms of your hands oh wow which you didn't really expect but you're, you're using these poles for so long you can just your hands can just get torn up so if anyone's out there looking for poles i would also get gloves and they have like gloves for that kind of stuff like fingerless gloves that will save your hands for the next month after you finish are they helpful on the downhills too yeah they are sometimes most most people don't really use them they'll kind of just tuck them away or just hold them in one hand and just run without them but yeah especially if there's some like very steep 
parts of a downhill you can use them but most people are just using them for uphills or even for some of the flat sections when you're going a little slower hiking whatever um but yeah you can use them whenever all righty so i want to get into our first ever while they're sleeping segment this is going to be called pre-race predictions and what i have in mind here is i have a series i have nine questions and maybe i'll think of a tenth one but i have nine questions I want to ask them to you now. They don't necessarily need to be rapid fire. Like you can, you can take your time and think about them if you need to. But then, assuming again people continue to listen to this podcast, I assume we'll have a post race, you know, recap like we did for Cocodona, and then we'll come back to these nine questions and see if your predictions, you know, were wow. were true or false. Okay, so prediction number one. And now I know you just said you don't want to come up with a time goal. Yeah, until the first day, right? But if you had to think about it, pre- predict in terms of prediction, you know, do you have a prediction you're willing to throw out there, or like a maybe a bull bear base case situation? Ooh, I think an over under. I don't know. <laughs> a, a very good time would be like eighty. Four hours. I mean, that's that's winning the race last year in your age group. Yeah, I mean, I did Tahoe in like eighty-one hours, but like there was like this weird section where it took me like fourteen hours to go like ten miles, and I completely—I have no idea what happened. I think I must have fallen asleep. So I feel like I had a little bit. I could have done a little better. So, but like eighty-five, like with the increased elevation and the change profile, that'd be a really good time. I mean, ninety hours maybe. So maybe like, like 90s your base case. Yeah, maybe something like you know, if I'm creeping in like 95, I probably had a pretty tough race, but you never know. All right, there you go. 85, 90, 95. There's your prediction. Number 2, what will be your max heart rate according to your Garmin during the course oh, of the race? 200. I, as high as it can go. You I think mean, you'll hit it even without I think the I'll heat? hit it on, on some of these climbs towards the end for sure. Wow. Especially if they're in the day. Maybe not 200, maybe like 190. You'll be in zone five, though. Um, there, there will be a significant <laughs> amount of zone five. Okay. Which I don't really like being in. I'm not really in zone five really ever in training. So maybe I should try to be in zone five a little more frequently. But Some interval, some track sessions? <laughs> I, hate, I hate track sessions. It's funny to think about a track session for someone who's training to run 200 miles. <laughs> you know, I was at the track the other week. I did like. 12 loops and it's like so boring and like people are always doing so many different things especially at the east river track in new york there's always like a photo shoot there's like running clubs there's just like people dancing it's like those soccer games it's just like so much activity i'd rather just like run on the sidewalk run up run in central park or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay question three when and you can do this in terms of miles or time i think time is probably more effective when will you sleep for the first time? Ooh. Not when do you want to today, but when do you think you'll actually sleep for the first time? So I'll say the first time I think I'll sleep for over an hour is, I'd say at the 24-hour mark, like at, but at an aid station. So like the, the closest aid station I hit at the 20, okay. after 24 hours, Okay. I think. So maybe like 70. I don't know, I have to look at the profile, 60, 70 miles in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you said you sleep over an hour. Does that mean you might do a trail nap before that? Yeah, there's maybe not in the first day, so maybe that's maybe I take that back. But, yeah, I'm only going to count like a bit, like a proper sleep because okay. they have some sleep stations. So I'd, I'd be at one of those and I'd do it right hopefully have like a a bed or like a cot or something got it okay number four what do you predict will be the toughest part of the race oh definitely that climb that i was talking about for sure Mm -hmm. mostly just because i mean i suck at climbing but it's also like later in the race gonna be super fatigued like the legs are gonna be beat up uh so yeah i mean that i'd be shocked if it's not that maybe some other parts towards the end um or maybe there's like a rough night section where it gets pretty cold, but that's that's what I'm thinking. Okay. Number five, will you want to do this race again? This one, it depends how I do. I mean, if I don't finish 
I'll have to see how, because eventually, yeah, sure. Because, I mean, you're going to run out of 200 milers to do. So, I'll, eventually, I'll probably end up doing it again. But I think I would do Tahoe before I did this one. I mean, the only thing about Tahoe is, like, they keep changing the course route every year because of something. Like, it's either the fires or there was snow this year. So, they, like, pushed the date and changed the course. So, I probably would do Tahoe. I mean, I'm, I'm planning to do Moab next year, so I'll see how that. Wow. That's the last of the three destination trail races. But, yeah, I mean, I could see myself doing it again. Okay, that's your prediction. All right. Number six, what will be the highlight of the race for you? Oh, the finish for sure. Finish. <laughs> that is for sure. You're going to jog it in? It finishes on a track. I think that's interesting. Oh, I'm going to be jogging it in. You're going to jog the 400 meters around the track? Oh, 100%. Gotta jog. <laughs> that might be a, a question six A. Will you jog on the track? I think I'm three for three jogging it in and finish. You gotta, gotta <laughs> sprint it in. That's probably my fastest split of the race. <laughs> That's awesome. So I was looking at question seven. I was looking at the uh, you know course profile again, and basically at mile one, you know eighty seven, one ninety, it's just a steep downhill for last like the last fifteen miles. And I was thinking back to, you know, you were describing a Cocodona. Sometimes the downhills are, are, are really tough, too, just because of the demand that places on your muscles. So yep. question seven is, how do you think you'll feel during that last stretch, you know, 15 miles or so straight downhill? And it's a steep downhill. I mean, I definitely like the downhill more than the uphill. So I'll probably be feeling pretty, pretty good just because it probably was a tough go to get to the top. So I feel like I'll like it. I mean, it depends how my feet are holding up. I expect them to hold up a little better than the last race. I uh, got some new shoes. I, there's less. I don't think there's really any water crossings where they're just like as crazy as some of the other ones that, that I've been in. So mm-hmm. hopefully the feet hold up. So I'm optimistic. Okay. Number eight. Now, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this because I don't know what you'll have access to. But how much weight do you think you'll lose <laughs> over the course of the race? Oh man, at least fifteen pounds, probably fifteen. Well, because like, I weighed myself at my run today. I probably lost ten pounds. Did you really? Yeah, probably. Wow. Well, I wasn't really eating. Like, I'll probably be eating much. Uh, I will be eating much more in Bigfoot, so I'll have some to keep. But you still burn so many calories. Like, I don't even know how many I burned last race, but thirty thousand. Like, yeah. Maybe not 15, maybe 10, 10 pounds. All right. Well, you gain it all back in like a meal and a half. It's mm-hmm. like all right, well, when you finish, I know it should be your top priority to try and find a scale, but we're going to need to fact check this prediction. So <laughs> see what we can do. And then the last pre-race prediction question I have for you is, do you think you'll leave the race feeling like you were prepared? I think I'll leave thinking I was prepared as much as I could have been but you're still probably underprepared. But I've, I I do feel like I would have maximized to a certain extent as prepared as I could have been. Just like living the life you live in New York. Like, I do think so. But there's going to be moments where I'm just like, dang, like, how is it this difficult? Like, I thought I did this. I thought I did that. But, you know, you're always going to be wanting for a little more. But I, I feel like I'll be satisfied Assuming things kind of go according to plan. Okay. Well, I look forward uh, to seeing. Oh uh, yeah, I'm, I'm you know what your answers how are. Much I, if I go over nine, over nine, over nine would be pretty devastating. But um, yeah, we'll see what that looks like in another month or so when we record episode three. All right. So, like I mentioned earlier, we solicited some listener questions yesterday on Instagram, and I want to go through some of those. Some of them are. Um, you know, specific to the race. Others are about you and your training in general. So let's get into some of these. The first one, how do you avoid injury during your training? Yeah, luckily, I actually haven't been injured that much. Like lately, I've had a little nicks here and there, but you know, it helps to strength train. It helps to build up to mileage like, appropriately. Um, Obviously, like training for two hundred miles, you're not you're not just just going to want to do that as your first race. You want to have been running probably for a little while and being able to ramp up. So I feel like 
in general, I've actually ramped up mileage pretty, you know, pretty intelligently. Like I haven't gone crazy spikes and then dropped off for weeks and ramp back up. So the consistency between weeks is important. Yeah, the consistency between weeks, you know, stretching and strength training. I stretch a lot. I don't lift as much as I used to, but a couple, two, three times a week definitely helps. Um, you know, I have a coach. I don't think you need, necessarily need a coach, but that helps just one. You can kind of structure and appropriate rest if you need it. Because a lot of times people who are just starting, they don't really know when to take days off. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can just kind of find yourself running too much, running too little. You don't really know what kind of runs you should be doing. So that helps in minimizing injuries. What's the prescription from from your coach for a run like today? Like he's probably See, not saying I mean, take the train I at say one this, in the morning to connect. Yeah, I mean, I say that and like if he's listening, I just completely, completely diverted from the program for for most of these runs. Like, I mean, this one I kind of I I like it for the structure of like mostly the runs Monday through Friday. Um, but yeah, some of the weekend runs I just will like completely go off the rails. Which I feel like I'm I'm fine with at this point. I kind of understand what works and what doesn't. And like that's not really this isn't really a run like anyone would really plan program in the training plan. It's kind of like a ridiculous thing to to put in, but mm-hmm. it does help to have someone to like discuss things with if like there's issues that come up. How active is that relationship? You know, it's it, it can be as active as you want it. Um we don't talk that frequently, but like he knows my goals. Like he's obviously a great runner, so like I respect his opinion and what he does. Um, and I know he's always a resource if I need to reach out and ask a question or things sure. like that. So it's just helpful as a sounding board. And there's a lot of there's a lot of coaches who are very expensive, and there's a lot more who are reasonable. So it's just about finding someone who understands your goals and what you're looking to accomplish, and and that can definitely help stave off some some injuries. Mm-hmm. Okay. So another question on the topic of injuries, what happens if you get seriously hurt during the race? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. They actually just sent out a pre-race like medical email and then like I have a whole list of stuff like what you should and shouldn't do, stuff you should wear, stuff you should bring. And then they have like for this, there's like serious cases and I've only heard of really maybe one, but if you have to get like rescued from the course. Rescued? Yeah. Like, I guess if you were to like fall and break a leg or something where you wouldn't be able to either get to the next aid station oh or goodness. walk out and it's like, they can send a helicopter in like the, <laughs> the, the yeah. medical team will have to hike in and get you. But then they say like, cause these races are pretty remote that, you know, please be prepared to wait four to 24 hours <laughs> for rescue hours. depending on the situation. So, I mean, I'm not waiting 24 hours. Like unless I'm, I'm unconscious because it's funny that they list in here reasons where you might not be able to walk out and like one being unconscious. So like, first of all, if you're unconscious, like I don't know how anyone is aware that you need rescue, but Oh my God. Yeah. It's like one of those things where it's part of the risk of some of these races. Like I don't know. I don't think anyone's actually, at least in these, I don't think anyone's died in these races, Mm -hmm. but people obviously die in ultra races. You know, it's not like a remote, Currents, um, it's just like a risky run, um, doing these kind of things. Um, but yeah, you just try to prepare, and a lot of people who do these are very prepared. They're not really going into it. Like I feel like in a lot of marathons, you hear of a lot more incidents just because a lot of time people just hop in and they just like go crazy. Oh, that's interesting. Like especially like the New York Marathon. I feel like especially this last year was hot, and there was like so many people getting ambulanced out. Just because, yeah, I mean, maybe I think on average people are a little more underprepared and you maybe haven't experienced that distance before. And in 200, you haven't, but, you know, you've experienced what it's like to be uncomfortable for days on end, probably doing some 100 milers and such. But, yeah, you you don't want to be getting helicoptered out because you also have to pay for it, apparently. $10,000, I think, for the helicopter. For the helicopter. (laughs) So so I'll I'll be walking out or, or hopping out. Okay. Don't get hurt. How about that? So sticking with the theme of negativity here for a minute, how do you push through the lowest 
low points during the race and whether that's you know due to your feet your stomach you've dealt with that in the past blisters lack of sleep you know how do you push through when you know there's so many more challenges ahead of you yeah good question i don't you know i don't really ever want to drop from a raise like i don't really consider that a a real option unless it's something really significant like very bad like similar to the rescue situation so i don't I'm not saying people, other people drop for like softer reasons, but I don't think that I consider that. So that's never like the first, second or third thing on my mind. Like I would much rather just stop and sleep for like five hours or then get up and finish if I feel a little better than dropping from a race. And, you know, there's, there's definitely lows. There's obviously a lot of lows in races, but you kind of see them coming. Like oftentimes you, you expect there's going to be low points, but you know, I always like to just think about the end of the race or like fix fixate on some other part after you finish the race. Like Coca Dona, I was thinking about raising canes for like a hundred miles. hundred miles. And that'll, that'll work wonders. You know, if you fix it on something like, like oh, I can't wait till I finish. Like it feels so good, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, not really not really allowing that thought to really enter your mind of quitting and just embracing the low points. Um, Cause that's kind of what you sign up for getting through those difficult moments. Um, Cause you know, it's the race is going to end eventually. Like you're not going to be out there forever and you know, there's a cutoff and you can kind of see how you're progressing. And if you kind of stick on that pace, you can finish the race fine. It's just kind of getting out of your own head that, you know, woe is me. Like I'm so, I'm in so much pain, blah, blah, blah. Like that is pretty negative thinking that can be eat you up. But, you know, there's some instances where, yeah, you obviously would have to drop out, but I luckily haven't come across those. But so for the most part, during the low parts, your mindset is, well, stopping isn't an option, so I'm just going to keep going and maybe I can get my mind on something else, something more pleasant. Exactly. I wonder what people will think of that. I mean, that's that's quite the mindset. But I guess there's nothing else you can really do when you're in the middle of nowhere. And, yeah, like what am I really like going to do? It's mile 100 of a 200 mile. Like, am I going to drop out? Like, no. I've gone 100 miles. Like, it's it's not the same thing as like, you know, I'll just it's a marathon. Like, I'll just hop in the marathon that's happening. You know, next weekend. Like these, you're really only doing one of these a year. There's not really a lot of opportunities. Like you, they're expensive. You take time off work. Like you fly out there. So you, you want to finish just because you've like put in a lot of time. And, you know, most of the time you're not really dropping out in the first half. At least I'm not thinking about dropping in the first half of the race typically. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, well, I've, you come so far. And as long as you feet, as long as you keep, keep moving your legs, it's, Let's just put one in front of the other and just get it done. Yeah. Another difference with an ultra and either a marathon or a triathlon, when you start to hurt, maybe you can say, okay, I'm going to focus on my form or I'm going to walk the aid stations and jog in between. Or, you know, maybe you say to yourself, well, I'm going to take my power from 180 watts down to 160 watts for 20 minutes and see how I feel. Like there's ways you can mitigate the pain while continuing to make progress. For you, it's like you're really just moving at one speed. It's either stop and rest, you know, take that five-hour nap like you said, or just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, you can either sleep or eat or just stop. That's really all you can really do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, eating and sleeping can work absolute wonders. Like you sleep for a couple hours, you can wake up a new man and just completely change your race which is why a lot of people say like before you drop out you should sleep for a little bit and when if you wake up and you feel the same way like you can drop out but mm-hmm. it's not a lot to it i mean you're really just trying to survive for three days and just moving forward sure at different speeds and just doing whatever feels best and feels right yeah okay so on a positive note you know you've done almost probably a dozen ultras at this point what's been your proudest moment I think maybe it was honestly the first 200 miler that I did. It's called the Hell Hole. I guess it's called Hell Hole 100, but it's 212 miler. I mean, it's a flat race. It's super flat, but it's in this like 
swampy South Carolina, like woods, wilderness, jungle, whatever. Like there was like alligators. There was like other life, other wildlife. And I was obviously pretty, I wasn't very unprepared for that. I mean, it was my first 200 mile race. I had done only like a couple, couple races before that. And at like mile, like 100, like I was in just like rough shape. Like my feet were beat up. And another thing, there was only three people doing the distance. And for the first day and a half, there's like no one there. Like the race director isn't there. He like has a GPS tracker on you, but there's no aid stations. There's no nothing that he has like some water bottles he drops off but wow there's hunters in the area so some hunters came and like took some of the water so it was like a pretty rough start <laughs> and it was just like tough to finish like i barely finished under the cutoff but that i was like really proud of that because i was like that's the that's some of the toughest shape i've been i mean cocodona i was in tough shape but post you know falling in the river and finishing oh the end of it yeah yeah i'd probably say those two um but yeah it's it's tough Cause okay. you're, you're obviously proud of all the finishes. Some are just a little more treacherous than others. Yeah. Given the temperature changes during these races, what do you wear, you know, in terms of like layers to keep yourself warm, but allow yourself to cool off? Like what does the clothing look like during the race? Yeah. So I always wear these like running shorts slash tights. Um, they're by this company called, Wallaco, W-O-L-A-C-O. That's free publicity right there. Free publicity. Not sponsored. <laughs> um, but they're great. I mean, I always I got them initially because you can put your phone in the pocket and you don't have to carry it. Like, I used to just carry my phone when I ran, like, for, like, two years. I would just hold it in my hand. Um, but it's great. It has a pocket. It's, like, like compression. So, there's not – I didn't like a lot of fabric moving around when I was running. So I always wear those, and if it's super cold, I'll maybe put some, like, tights on under it, um, or I'll wear some, like, sweatpants over it, but it's just that, and then up top, like, just depending on the conditions, who knows, but normally just pretty light, like a t-shirt or a tank top. And then you have to have stuff in your pack or in the drop bags. Like oh, that's, yeah. That's always available to you if you need more, basically? Yeah, exactly. You can pack that with, like, jackets, extra shirts, cold stuff. Do you ever do a full change of the Wallacos or, you know, I actually, shirts or... I've done it once. I did it once at Cocodona, but typically I don't change my shorts. Um, I'll just change, like, my shirt, um, stuff sure. like that, which is it's kind of gross, but it is what it is. Yeah, okay. Oh, and Wallaco, if you're listening, just please send me some free shorts. I'm begging you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm begging you. I've been, depending, I've been throwing money at your gear forever. I need some free gear. So given what you've accomplished with the 200-mile distance now a number of times, what keeps you motivated? And maybe you can interpret that as what other races are on your mind in the future. I, or you can interpret it. Maybe these are all separate questions. You know, just on a day-to-day basis, what keeps you motivated? You know, 15 miles, 10 miles the next day, right? Your volume is really high. I want to, so in terms of the which races I want to do. I want to do Moab 240 and I want to do Cocodona again, which are the next two things kind of on my mind probably for next year. You know, it keeps me motivated. I want to keep improving on my times and my finishes and my finishing positions just for no other reason that I'm just like competitive with myself. And I just kind of want to see how much I can do, like how much I can kind of get out of myself and you know it's it's nice to go out there and compete and do well in an area that's like very niche and like pretty difficult part of athletics that is still relatively unknown it's getting much more popular the mm-hmm. 200 mile distance but yeah I'm, I'm more motivated just by the fact that it's something that i enjoy doing and i want to do it as well as i can and it's also just, you know, something that's kind of a unique skill that I've acquired and a unique interest. Do you have any ambition or interest in other, like, really high-profile races at the 100-mile distance? I'm thinking, like, Western States, Leadville, UTMB. Yeah. Honestly, 
UTMB sounds pretty cool. I mean, I'm not as interested in just going overseas as much as some people are. Just because, like, I don't know. I'm not a big traveler. Like, the logistics seem, like, tough. You have to do all these, like, qualifying races for UTMB to get in, which kind of takes away a lot of the some of the excitement. Because I already have to take off a lot of time to do races already, so... If you have to do like all these qualifying races, gather all these like UTMB points, it's just kind of it's like a little isn't too Western much. states like that too? Actually, well, I think Western states there's races that they don't have like Western state specific races. UTMB has like you got to get these like UTMB points where you have to do these like UTMB oh, wow. races. I think Western like certain races might be qualifiers, and then there's like a lottery or something. Same with like Hard Rock, there's a lottery. I mean, it's like, it's, like impossible to get in. Um, so, I mean, there's some 100-milers, but I really just like – I mean, I've fallen in love with the 200-mile distance. I don't know what it is. I mean, I think it's the fact that it is guaranteed to be over, like, a two-day affair for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, just thinking about, like, everyone's out there for two days, two nights. It's just – I like the fact that it's, like, so long. It's, like, such a mental – I mean, 100 miles is, is long and it's very mental as well, but – to just like another level. Um, so I feel like I'm going to stick with like the 200 for my main races. I, I do have a hundred mile distance, but it's just tough to do too many big ones um, during the year. If I'm also doing all these 200. Sure. Okay. Who inspires you? Inspires me. I, don't know. I have a lot of like, I'm a fan of a lot of ultra runners like Harvey Lewis is like, you know, a lot of the old, a lot of the best ultra runners are like in their forties or sometimes even older. So just people who've been doing it for like a long time and can show that you can be successful in the sport even at like at an older age. So people like him, he's probably my favorite ultra runner. Um, he's done like Badwater a million times, and he's big on like the backyard ultra scene. Uh, so I like him. Obviously Goggins. I mean. Goggins is Goggins. I mean, I don't even need to say anything say no else. More. Um, I'd say those two. And then I'm like a fan of like a lot of like all the other ultra runners, but I wouldn't really say I follow them as closely as those two. People like Killian Jornet, who's like an absolute animal. Courtney Dowalter, absolute beast. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'd say those four. I mean, Goggins, maybe you don't consider him an ultra runner anymore, but... I think those four are like the people I always have my eye on, see mm-hmm. what they're doing and taking notes, getting inspiration from. Sure. So there were a couple of questions about um, diet and food as well. You know, I think we gather that during the race, basically anything goes. I mean, you'll eat whatever you can get your hands on. After the race, you're going to have some cravings. And again, yep. you're going to eat whatever you can. So maybe in your day-to-day, are there any you know, things you try and do for your diet or whether it's calories or types of food. Yeah. I mean, so I don't, I definitely don't count calories or do anything psychotic like that. I mean, I eat the same thing for lunch every day, which I guess is more for convenience. I have like, I eat a lot of rice per week, like a lot of rice. I maybe have like two cups uncooked rice per day, probably per day. Wow. Which is like a lot. I mean, I like a rice cooker, so I'm like cooking a lot of rice. So I, I do I don't do any like keto or anything like that. So I eat like rice and like ground turkey with like some broccoli, like for lunch. Um and for dinner, like I usually have some more rice. I have like this Mediterranean place that I eat. Um then maybe I'll get like a salad on top of that. And I don't really know how many calories it ends up shaking out to. Three, four thousand, I'm not too sure, but I don't shy away from like carbs. I mean, there's some very good runners who don't have any carbs or very minimal. Mm-hmm. I just found that like that doesn't work for me. Do you eat breakfast? I mean, you have to after you run, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't really eat. I, I always have like a like a protein shake. And on like some bigger run days, I'll have some breakfast. Maybe I'll have some eggs or like just like some cereal or a bagel. Like nothing crazy though. Um, probably should eat breakfast a little more, but... <laughs> It's really like I really like to have like a big lunch. Like my lunch is like a lot of food, which some people don't like having big lunches. But I normally have a pretty big lunch, and then 
a relatively early dinner. And if I'm hungry again, I'll eat something. Like, I'm not too crazy about, like, eating later in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, and that's you snack at all? Some, snack at all? You avoid snacks? I don't know. Yeah, I don't really like eating in between meals. I don't like not being hungry going into a meal. Like, I don't like if, if we're going to eat at, like, 5 and I, I'm hungry at 3, like, I just won't eat. Because I don't want to, like, have some food and then it's, like, 5 o'clock comes around. I'm just mm-hmm. not hungry. For some reason, I just... I don't know, I just don't like that. So yeah, I don't really snack too much. I have desserts though. I like ice cream. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not out here having no sweets or anything, but yeah, I mean nothing nothing too crazy. So over the years you have experimented with other I wouldn't say crazy, but like Oh yeah. You've tried I, some stuff. You you know, you've you've done a couple months of like vegetarian Yeah, um, I did keto for like I think you did keto one three point months, here. I think. I mean it's just wasn't for me. I did, yeah, I did a vegetarian thing. I've done it in like two or three different times for like one or two months. Yeah, but just just wasn't for me. Um, there's some very you know vegan. A lot of runners are vegan, like, and a lot of very good runners are vegan. There's like all these aid stations at these races. There's always like vegan option and non-vegan options. Mm-hmm. Just because it is popular, so I always think, like, oh, there's obviously, there's got to be something to it. Like, a lot of these great runners are vegan, but it just, for me, it just, yeah, it just hasn't hasn't made sense. So, yeah, I haven't, haven't done it. Sure. So, another listener question here. How do you balance work with your training and race schedule? Like I said, during the past 10 weeks, you were averaging 80 miles a week, even running fast. I mean, that's a lot of hours. You know, you're working long hours, and now for this race – Best case scenario, we're looking at three, four days of running, but there's travel. It's the other side of the country, so you're taking off a lot of time for work. How do you balance this pursuit with, like, real life? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the hour work hours are long, and it's obviously a priority, and hours can be a little unpredictable. I mean, yeah, maybe you're looking at 80 hours a week at least. I mean, sometimes it's Of more. work, 80 hours a week. Yeah. yeah, sometimes it's more. I mean, sometimes it's a little less. But I run in the mornings during the week, Monday through Friday. So and that's what I always tell people who are looking to get started in running. Like, there's no excuses if you run in the morning. There's really, if you're running at five in the morning, there's nothing that could interrupt your run. I mean, and the, the only issue is when you get to bed. And, you know, for me, it's running is enough of a priority where I'll, I'll run even if I don't get to bed. Like, I'm, I'm running pretty much regardless, unless there's really something like, I have a flight and I just worked right up into the flight. Even, even then I'll try to do something, but some people just, they're not willing to give up on that sleep part. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know what to say about that, but that's kind of how I deal with it. Running the mornings, no interruptions. Everyone on your team, or at least on my team is sleeping. So I'm not going to get any emails. Even if I did, I mean, it's five in the morning, six in the morning, I can wait. Um, on the weekends, like my, my runs are on, my long runs are on Saturday, which for me, typically I, I don't have anything to work on on Saturday. And if I do, it'll be like known well in advance and I can kind of plan around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I run on Sundays, like Sundays are a little more unpredictable, but still pretty safe to run in the morning. So that's kind of how I get the running. And in terms of the races, like I use all my vacation days on running on these races. Wow. So it's not all, but maybe 90% of the days on races. So it's fine. I mean, you let your people you work with know, they, they know that this is what I like to do. And they know like, I'm not going to be reachable when I'm out there running, running, That's like for running sure. for my life in some of these races. So I'm not, it's not like I have my email open and I'm like checking email. Like I'm, I'm just not. Yeah, like some people, you know, that could be a tricky situation. But I figure if it's, you know, vacation days that you have to use that are yours, I don't feel uncomfortable using them to do whatever. Like, I, I mean, just, yeah, I just happen to use them. If you're off 10 days, let's say, in the mountains of Washington, that's no different than someone being off 10 days at the beach. Exactly. Right? And like, you know, even on vacation, people are checking emails. Like, I'm checking my email on the days that I'm not actually in the race, which is like, like I'm taking a week off total for this race coming up. Running itself is going to be like three to four days, but like I'll, I'll be around. 
I try not to like be that plugged in. But yeah, it's, you know, especially if you're trying to increase your mileage. Yeah, you have to make some sacrifices, especially for me, it comes in the form of sleep and just like other extracurriculars, which I don't know, I don't really go out and do like a lot of these other things. But like if, if that was something that people do, like a lot of people like to go out Friday nights, but I know I run early on Saturday, so that's just not something I'm going to do. And it, and it works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of finding your passion. Do you find yourself during the week, if you're working late, saying to yourself, uh, let me just get to bed. This can wait till tomorrow because I want to make sure I have enough sleep for work. And like, is your team cool with that? Or are you saying, no, work is going to happen. And then I'm just going to cut back on sleep and wake up and run. The work is always a priority. Like it's, it's, it's always like the number one priority. There are times where stuff can wait. You know, some people just like doing stuff to get ahead. Like Mm -hmm. maybe something is due on Thursday, but some people like, want to knock it out earlier in the week like i'll do that if possible but i'm not just gonna be up to two in the morning doing stuff that isn't important so i'm I'll, i'm gonna be sleeping so i can get up and go running um, but like, if something is actually needs to be done i'm not just gonna put it off just to run in that case yeah i'm i'm more than happy to like run on a little sleep but again like it does help for the races like running on two hours of sleep is something that you'll be, do- I'll be doing often. Have you had that over the past couple of months? Late that nights Oh yeah. That late? Yeah. 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 I've had some hundred hour weeks in the last couple of months. Wow. And it's, it's not fun, but it's not every week. And that's the thing. Like even in a in busy job, like you're not working 24 hours a day, like tip- seven days a week. So you have a couple hours in there to do what you want. Some people can watch some Netflix. Some people can go to sleep. I just, go for a run and and sleep if I can. So, so that's a nice segue into the last question I had for us this morning. You got on the train at one 30 or so, and you mentioned that it's an interesting crowd, right? You're starting your day, but leaving grand central there's people ending the day. Maybe there were people who went out last night. There were probably people who worked really late. And then you spent the next eight hours running while we were sleeping And so I would love to just hear your perspective on what while they're sleeping means to you and, you know, why we named this podcast, what we did and, you know, just reflect on that for a minute. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I've always been, at least since we've done like the endurance stuff, like a few years back, we would get up super early to do when we were training for an Ironman, like we get up at like two, yeah. three, run before work. Mm-hmm. It's just like, to me, it's more about, you know, people have priorities. Like people make time for stuff that's important and significant, whether it's like running or business ventures or whatever. Um, so yeah, while they're sleeping, it's just like showing, it's, it's basically just for me, like I'm prioritizing stuff that I think is important at a time when it would be totally fair game for me to be in bed. No one is forcing me to do any of these things. I'm sacrificing like the one thing that's really most people are, you know, hold sacred, which is like getting appropriate sleep to do something that I care about. Um, while they're sleeping on it, it, I don't know if it's a jab at people who are just, you know, corporate robots or people just sleep and work and sleep and work. It's kind of, for me, it's like, okay, well, that's how you live your life. This is how I live my life. Like, while you're sleeping, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, there's a lot of people doing a lot of different things, figuring out how to fit in stuff that's important to them. And something has to give a lot of times. And for me, often it's, it's sleep. I try to still get a lot of sleep on the weekends, but you can only do so much. Yeah. The origin of the phrase, maybe early 2020 or late, probably late 2019, we had signed up for Ironman Maryland with no swimming or biking background at all. 
And at the time, we would both need to be on the desk at sometime between 6.15 and 6.30, right? Yeah. More, more or less. And the pool would open next to the office at 5.30. And so on certain days, you'd want to get a run and a swim in. So we'd be, you'd run starting at like 4.45, sometimes earlier. You were doing at, at that point like 10-mile runs at times before the yeah, swim. Yeah, I was running like... 3.30. Yeah. 3.30 to like... You had some crazy early to runs. To 5. Then we'd go to the gym. Yeah, I'd be more like... For like a like couple a, minutes. And then we'd go to the pool at 5.30. 5.30, swim until 6, panting. Had no idea what we were doing in the pool. <laughs> if no we idea. Could, if we could Still get a thousand yards in, it was like a miracle. Still don't. It was absolutely... Yeah. And then we'd get to the desk feeling like we just conquered the world because we've been up since God knows when. And, and that was really the origin of it. It's like, we did all of this while everyone else was sleeping. It's like an attitude. And it does, it does wonders for your perspective on your, your job and whatever. Like Mm -hmm. if you do that in the morning, it sets your whole day up. It sets you on like the right, gets you on, on the right foot. Like, it's tough to explain if you don't kind of experience that day in and day out, but it's not much ahead of your day that's you can't handle if you start your day with like a 20 mile run or like a big bike or like mm-hmm. a big swim. It just mentally, it's just the best thing you can do um, or doing anything that's kind of physically demanding mm-hmm. and like, I feel like being being physical is like an important part of that equation. You can get up and you can you know, read a book, do some meditation, but I think like the physical exertion of it just really mm-hmm. frames your week and day if you kind of do that. And even physically too, like it's just so good for your energy during the day. Oh yeah, yeah. you come in hungry, you're starving. <laughs> you have a good breakfast. You know, your day's set up. You've already done the hardest thing. Likely you'll do that entire day. Mm-hmm. Well, nowadays I'm the one sleeping. I'm doing <laughs> nothing. And anyone who follows me on Strava will see that too. Big difference between my Strava and Chad's Strava. Yeah, what do you got on a calendar? Absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> absolutely nothing. I'm hoping that over the course of the next couple of weeks while I edit this and then follow along with you in the race, I re-inspire myself to get on this bike next to me or to put some miles in on Strava and, uh, you know, I'll get back to that while they're sleeping attitude. So obviously everyone can follow you on Strava, on Instagram. Sometimes you post updates from the races on Instagram, which I always enjoy. Where can people follow you in the race itself? Will they have the same tracking that they did for Cocodona? Yeah, hundred percent. There'll be live, live tracking. Um, you'll be able to find it. If you just Google the Bigfoot website, they'll have a tracker. I mean, I'll, put it on my page as well but Mm -hmm. yeah they'll have great tracking gps all that good stuff um so you can follow me along and hope that my dot doesn't stay stagnant for too long (laughs) but yeah no all right august 11th bigfoot website find the tracker follow along with chad and you'll put the link somewhere we'll put the link in the show notes too how about that i feel like podcasters (laughs) always say that link in the show notes uh, Chad, anything else you want to throw out there to close us off or, uh, no, no. All right. I think this is a good one. Hopefully, uh, way more to come. Episode yeah. three for sure. But. Episode three in a few weeks, we'll get back with the race recap. Uh, but thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.